0: Amazing, when you think about our relationship with the Creator of the universe, Amen. That He cares enough about us to take from His infinite riches and bless us so greatly—it's amazing. Sorry if tonight's message sounds a little familiar; you would have heard it this morning because um, Brother Tyler kind of gave the same message. See, I made the mistake between Sunday school and the service of telling him what I was preaching on tonight, and he just took it and ran with it and preached the same message. I was sitting there saying, would you shut up? Would you shut up? Would you shut up? So, yeah, yeah. So I went home and thought, well, maybe I ought to think of something else to talk about. And I thought, you know what? Forget it. They're going to get a double heap of it. Amen? That's true. <laughs> I made notes of all of his mistakes and said I'm not going to make those same mistakes. It's not exact. It's not exactly the same message, but there's, there, it's quite different, but it's quite the same at the same time. We'll be starting in Luke 15, if you want to turn there. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew, though. But we're going to be looking at the difference between religion and relationship. We talk about that a lot. We talk about religion, which I think is killing the churches today this concept of following fables, which Pastor Tyler was kind of has been hitting on Wednesday night and then tonight, and you know, works, a mixture of works, uh, a mixture of all of these things that we want to throw on top of uh, what God tells us to do, on top of God's Word, because we have to make God's Word better than it is, right? Amen? We think that we have to correct it and fix it and coax it and make it something that is acceptable to us. And so we're going to look at that tonight. The great philosopher, Meatloaf, once saying, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. Two out of three ain't bad. That's kind of how we approach God sometimes. Sometimes we need Him, but we don't love Him or we don't want Him. Sometimes we love him, and we don't want him, or we don't need him. But I'm here to tell you tonight, you need him. You ought to want him, and you better love him. And when you look at that, I jest, and I make fun of meatloaf, but there's some truth there, that when we look at our relationships, with each other, whether it's your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your children or whatever it may be, your boss or whatever, we look at that and we think, you know, I need that job. I want that job, but I don't love that job. It's easy to do. Or I want my kids, I need my kids, but maybe I don't love them or any other combination of those things. But that's a combination of things that we ought to when we look at God, we ought to want Him, we ought to need Him, and we ought to love Him. In Luke chapter 15, we see a remarkable story here, and I've actually preached this message many times, and I've preached it wrong. I'm going to confess to you tonight. I just came to this conclusion um, recently, actually, when I was looking at, but beginning because of the, the mistake I make is I go and I preach this message concerning the prodigal son, and I start, you know, in verse 11. In this time in my studies, I went all the way back to verse 1, and I completely got it in context. See, I had always taught that the parable of the, par- the prodigal son was concerning a saved son who lost his way and came back to the father. Because in my thinking, I thought, well, he must have been saved in order to be a son. But that's not true, because in verse 1, the Scripture says, "...then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners." to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He was with the lost. He was with those that society looked down upon and frowned upon. And especially the Pharisees looked at these people. These people had no value to the Pharisees. They brought nothing to the table of the Pharisees. Let me tell you, God works through people who have no value in the sight of of the world that's how God works you look at the men primarily that he used throughout scripture it was people that the world would have thrown away or did throw away God can use and specifically I think for on a purpose does use the dregs of society if we will I'm just using that's not my word I'm just using that word uh to draw that picture But the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying... So then Jesus tells three parables right after that. The first we won't go through is the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, hey, who wouldn't, if they had a lost sheep, go out and get that sheep and bring it back and put them around his neck? You know, and then you'll rejoice that you have your sheep. See, the Pharisees could relate to sheep. It was part of their everyday life. It was part of the sacrifices. It was part of what they handled. There was value to sheep. More value in the sheep to them than there was in these sinners and the uh, the tax collectors. And then he told the parable of the lost coin. And he said, hey, what woman, if she had lost a coin, wouldn't turn the light on or light a candle and search high and low for that coin? And then when she found that coin, she would rejoice. In verse 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth And then he gets to the parable of the lost son. See, there was value in the sheep to the Pharisees, and there's value in money to the Pharisees. So he's using two things here that have value, and he says, look, these people are just as valuable to me as your sheep and your money is to you. And then he gets to the son. And as bad as the Pharisees were, I'm sure they valued their children, especially their firstborn, because There were some things there concerning Jewish society in which everything was passed down to the first son. So the first son was almost everything in the family. And he begins in verse 11, he says, "...a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, "'Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me.' And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country." And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough? And to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be married. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house... He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should be, make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost, and is found. We have three characters in this story. We have the father, who is representative of, if you go back to verse 1, we had three characters in verse 1 and verse 2. And there's a parallel there. So the father is representative of Jesus himself. They're interchangeable. They're both God. They're kind of interchangeable for the sake of this story. And then you have the prodigal son, the sinner, the one who goes and wastes... The father's inheritance in riotous living, in in, in waste and squalor, he's representative of the sinners and the publicans. And then finally, you have the other brother who gets mad at the celebration that the son came home, and he's representative of the Pharisees. So you see here the relationship. You see here the the three people that we have in the church. Really, we have God, the Father. We have the religious, who the church is full of, the religious. And we're going to talk more in depth about them tonight. And then you have the sinners. And if you were all honest with yourself, you would realize that you're one of them. Okay? We're all sinners, saved by the grace of God, are we not? We all need His grace. We all need to, as uh, the, the prodigal son said... Um, as the prodigal son said he said uh i will arise and go to my father and i will say unto him father i have sinned against heaven and before thee do you see the difference in the attitude between the prodigal son and the other brother he had a a a attitude of contrition an attitude of repentance he realized it doesn't matter how he got there he got there and he had a heart, he had a right heart, and he said, I will arise and go to my Father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Let me tell you, that's a good place to be. That is a great place to be. To be completely helpless in needing God in that manner. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants, And then you see the attitude of the other brother. In verse 27, And he said unto him, Thy brother has come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. And he goes on. See, the focus with him was on his self. It was on his Situation. It was on his position. He had pride, he had envy, and he was jealous. What was the focus of the prodigal son? The focus was on the father. I don't care if I have to be a servant. I don't care if I have to clean the hogs pens. They didn't have hogs, so it would have been cattle pens there. But I'm going back because I know that's where I need to be, and that's wherever my father is, that's where I want to be. And so you see a difference in attitude here. And I think it's really a parallel between the religious and those who truly are trying to live a right life. Turn with you to Matthew 23. We're going to spend some time here. It's a very difficult passage, a very difficult chapter. In fact, I'll be honest with you, most churches have taken this chapter and ripped it out of their Bibles not literally but you won't hear them preach on it we do in fact right here Matthew 23 I write in every time someone preaches Nathan Gregory October 19th 2014 Nathan Gregory September 29th 2019 two times he's preached in this chapter since I've been coming to this ch- this church or bath in five years so he's the only name written in this chapter in all the churches I've been to all the sermons I've heard I've never heard a message on this chapter why? because the religious we they don't want to look at Jesus the real Jesus of the Bible we've made Jesus out to be this effeminate sissified Christian who goes around letting people slap him and he turns the other cheek all the time listen get that picture out of your mind that is not who Jesus is. He wasn't that way when he came and walked the first time in the first Advent. It's just a false teaching. Well, at, at his trial, he yes, at his trial, he let things go, and he didn't even speak a word in his defense because that had to be done. But you're forgetting about other times when he sent the apostles out with weapons. In fact, Peter... When Jesus was arrested, He cut the ear of Malchus off. Jesus didn't correct Peter for having the knife. He corrected him because it was His time to go. So, Jesus is not this... In fact, you look at Revelation, when Jesus comes back, you think He's going to come back to die on a cross again? No. He's got fire in His eyes. That's what the passage says. He's coming back to inflict justice and judgment and... And to set up his kingdom, and here we see a different Jesus than you see painted in many churches today. And you know I'm not saying that Jesus was always this. I'm not saying that there wasn't times when he was soft and kind. in fact, the book of Jude in Jude, it tells us that with some were to have compassion making a difference. others were to save with fear. So you're to scare some out of hell and others you're to love them into heaven. That's kind of a paraphrase of that scripture. And so we see here 14 times in this chapter alone that Jesus chastises the Pharisees, the religious of his day. Eight times he uses the word woe. Woe is a pretty strong word. You better If Jesus says woe to you, your ears better perk up and you better pay attention because it's serious, serious stuff. He uses words like, he calls them hypocrites, children of hell, blind guides, fools, blind, dirty on the inside, whited sepulchers, full of dead man's bones, unclean, full of iniquity, children of murderers, serpents, Generation of vipers, damned to hell, and murderers. Does that sound like the Jesus that our churches are painting today? Well, Jesus never said a crossword about anybody. But he was always nice. And he let people walk all over him and do whatever they wanted to him. And he just turned the other cheek and said, Blessed be you, brother! That's not Jesus. He went into the temple and ripped it to pieces and took a long rope, if you will, and started whipping it around. I'm not saying again that that was the Jesus of all time, but you've got to deal with these passages. You can't just throw it away. You can't just ignore this. Jesus was talking to these people and he had strong words to say to them, so when I preach messages in the past and I've preached in churches, and I mention people by name like Rick Warren, and I call him a heretic, and people say, "Why, you shouldn't mention their name." He's a heretic, and people are watching him, and people are listening to him. And in the book of Romans, it tells us to mark those which cause divisions, and offense is contrary to the word, the doctrine which I've told you. How do you mark someone? You've got to indicate who they are. You have to point them out. And they're heretics. And so when we look here at the religious, we're going to look at a few things and we're going to point them out. But I want to contrast religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. That's our main focus tonight. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Well, you get a good picture of it like we saw with the prodigal son. That brother is the religious one. He doesn't have a right heart. On the outside, right? Think about this. There's no mention of what he does while the prodigal son is away, right? While the prodigal son is off wasting his living and all this. But I picture that that brother was going about his business and doing what he was supposed to do. The brother who didn't like that they were that that the father was doing the um, the feast for on the outside he was doing all the right things on the outside he didn't ask for his inheritance and go waste it he stayed there with the father on the outside but what was his problem his problem was on the inside we were at a church I won't mention it but we were at a church and uh, we were at a church function. And I was just singing to myself, Brother Rob, that song that the choir sang today, uh, Child of the King. And I just was singing, Oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm a child of the king, His royal blood. You know, and this guy who made a point of, he was an associate pastor there, but we made a point that we had to call him by a specific title, First of all he says to me looking down at his nose in disdain where did you hear that song and i just said well you wouldn't know that song because it's too simple for a mind as great as yours and i walked away see it did something about that song didn't meet his specifications his approval I don't know if it was the words I don't know if it was the beat my guess is that it was probably the beat I don't know but it wasn't that he didn't know the song and he was curious about the song you could tell by his tone and the way that he said it that he didn't like that I was singing it which I didn't care but the point was he's a religious fool okay I'm sorry he is he's actually a friend of mine but he's a religious fool and he was wrong in that. that's the difference between religion and relationship what I'm not supposed to sing that that's what was in my heart that's what I was feeling at the time and so it's just silliness it's just silliness let's look at some characteristics of the religious the Pharisees in this passage Matthew 23 versus how we ought to react in relationship with Christ and your relationship with Christ ought to be similar to your other relationships. Not They, they shouldn't be similar to your other relationships. They should be similar to uh, other relationships, how they should go. Okay? You ever notice uh, how your children start to act more like you the more time they spend with you? You know, I can't tell you how many times Brandy has said, you know, when Allie does something stupid, you know, she's just like you, you know. Or Noah. She just, or Noah's more like his mother. But the kids tend to be like their parents, right? Because we have that relationship. The more time you spend with God, the more you're going to be like Him. Or, you know, you ever notice that married people, the longer they're together, the more they look alike? You know? It's not really the case. It's just that they kind of become one person, right? And, and we see them so often together that they kind of become one person to us. So... Uh, the more time that we spend with God, the more we're going to become like Him. And that's what I'm talking about, relationship. Not all this other silly stuff that we... The the vain repetitions and the traditions of men, that's just junk. It's just junk. That's what the Scripture tells us. The rudiments of men. So, the first characteristic we're going to look at concerning the Pharisees and Matthew chapter 23 is this. They do not live according to the truths they preach. They say and do not. Listen, There are, I'm telling you, I've been in the ministry for over 20 years. I've served in probably 10 churches in that 20 years. They get rid of me real quick. I don't hang around too long. Uh, I've preached in churches. I know a lot of pastors, and I know a lot of preachers, and I know a lot of people who do not live what they preach. Okay? I mean, sometimes things happen in our life, and we have to preach about things, and those are things we struggle with. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a steady way of life. The way they live their life is not what they're preaching. And the Pharisees here did not live according to the truths they preach. They say and do not. Look with me in verse 3 of Matthew 23. Uh, Verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. That's what religion would tell you. You don't have to live according to the way you preach. That's what religion would say. What does relationship say? Most of our verses are going to be in Matthew, so for time's sake we'll be able to to save a lot of time. Later we are going to get into a couple others. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. This is what a relationship with God teaches us to do. Matthew 5, 19. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I listen, I know there's some dispensational stuff here, okay? Uh, this is concerning uh, the kingdom of God and things like that. But again, it doesn't mean that the application, that we have to throw the application out. And the application here, the meaning here is, Christ, these are the words of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, listen, not only should you teach men, but you ought to do what you teach. Do the things you say. It's a hard, hard thought. In that same chapter, go over to verse 33, Matthew 33 through 37. Again ye have heard that it you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. I swear to God. People say that, don't they? See, it's not so much that you're making light of God. That is part of it. But you better be careful what you swear. You better be careful the oaths you take. You better be careful what you say you will do. I remember we were going to Fife Lake Baptist Church years ago, and we had a cleanup day. We were doing something in the parking lot. Some trees had fallen, and uh, I said I'd be there to clean up, and I truly intended to be there. But I noticed something was wrong with my chainsaw, so I was trying to get my chainsaw fixed. And I, you know, I never, I didn't make it to the cleanup because I was too busy messing around with getting my chainsaw fixed. Boy, the pastor lay into me later. Pastor Van Dusen, you said you'd be there, and you didn't show up. And yep, I got to take it, Pastor. I should, you know, I should never said I was coming. No, I should, <laughs> I should have showed up anyway and let him know here's the reason I'm I'm going to go get this done, or maybe there was something else I could do. But if you say you're going to do something, do it. That was the point he was trying to make. So uh, the religious say and do not, whereas we who want a relationship with Christ, if we say we're going to do something, do it. Or you say something, do it. Otherwise you're a hypocrite. The second point is they are severe to others, They point out the narrowest road to heaven and they walk in the broad road themselves. They bind heavy burdens. Look with me in verse 4, back in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They put heavy burdens on men, but they don't want to do the work. I was sharing with, uh, we have a hardworking pastor. I'm not talking about our pastor. We have a hardworking pastor. Uh, any of us who were here helping with the building, he was here most of the time. Uh, I was sharing with Pastor Tyler about my father-in-law, who, when I went to church with him, he did it. He mowed the church. He did everything. Mowed the church lawn, not the church. That would have been something. But he mowed the church lawn, and, all you know, he, he was a hard Hard worker. He didn't put those burdens on the men of the church. Now the men of the church should have stood up and done it because they were putting a heavy burden on the pastor. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, you don't expect of others what you don't do, what you won't do yourself. Okay, and th- and that's what the religious do. They expect everybody else. To do things that they're not willing to do. Look with me, how should we as Christians in a relationship with God, how should we act? Look at Matthew chapter 7 concerning this very same thing. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. We're not going to go there because that's the most misunderstood verse, but for the sake of this argument, that's not the intention. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. That's really the true meaning of verse 1. The intent there is, if you're going to judge someone else, you better be willing to be judged by that same measure. That's the real, it doesn't mean don't judge someone. It means if you're going to judge someone, guess what? You're going to be judged under those same uh, parameters. Verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You ever know someone who had a big old telephone pole in their eye, and they're pointing out the speck in your eye? and you want to just slap them in the face and say, can't you see that telephone pole in your eye? But I've been there, probably last week. But, you know, that's what uh, we as Christians, in fact, we ought to take it to a, a higher level of grace because we can't see in ourselves the things that other people see. So we shouldn't expect of others the things that we Ourselves won't do or we can't see. Does that make sense? The religious don't do that. They don't care because it's all about power. It's all about power with them. And that, that that's the point is they make it severe so they hold brothers and sisters down. The next point is they try to appear righteous and are strict observers of certain rights. They make broad their phylacteries. Look with me at uh, 20, verse 23. Or, chapter 23 and verse 5 but all their works they do for to be seen of men they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments we knew this man one time every time the offering plate would come he'd have a wad of bills and he'd hold it up like this I'm not kidding and throw it in the plate so everybody could see well buddy there's your reward it just went in the plate it ain't going any farther made a point of it but they try to appear righteous and are strict observers of certain rights. That word phylacteries, what they would do back then, the priest would do, is they would have these rolled up parchments of paper. With, it might have scripture on it or sayings on it. And they would wear it on their clothing. And then they would have frills on there to make a show of themselves. One thing, I, I used to like D. James Kennedy uh, when he was on TV. I liked listening to him. But one thing I couldn't stand is they wore these stupid robes. You know who? Come on, why? Just wear regular clothing. I mean, why are you making a point to sh- stand there in a purple robe like you're someone special? You know, you're not. You know, you're just bringing the word of God. But uh, they they have you observe certain rights. Let's look at how we ought to act as Christians in a relationship with Christ. Matthew, back in Matthew six, beginning in verse one. Himself shall reward thee openly. I'm going to tell you right now, I've served in a church one time and I was a church treasurer. And the pastor came to me and he said, I want you to, uh, when I make you treasurer, I want you to be able to tell me when people stop giving because that means they're about to leave the church. I said, Absolutely not. I will not do it. I will not serve as your treasurer if you make me do that. It's none of your business what anybody gives. And he looked at me like, What? It's no, nobody's business. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That includes anybody else's, the pastors, the deacons, or anybody else. They have no business knowing what you make. Now, those that count money usually do because most of us write our offering in checks, but when they do, they ought to put it out of their mind. They ought to not think about it to the best of their ability. I know that's hard, but the name's on there, and sometimes you do, but you don't really know what someone's giving. I remember even... I had a friend up in Traverse City and he didn't even like, he wouldn't even claim his offering on his taxes because he said, I don't even want to give the impression that I'm doing this to get a return. uh, It's taking away from my giving if I'm getting something in return. Now, I'm not telling you not to do that. I do that. I claim it on my taxes. But that was his personal point of view. But it's nobody's business what anybody gives. Whether they give zero or they give 90% of their... Uh, income. There's again a principle there that can be preached from the pulpit. Okay, that's pastors. I wouldn't take that on because that's pastors. That's a, a, something pastors should do, but uh, it's nobody's business. We do these things in secret. And verse 5 of that uh, chapter 6 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Listen, I love that pastor calls on different men to preach, or to pray. I love when Denny prayed. Was it a perfect prayer in our mind? No. It was a perfect prayer in God's mind. Don, I love that you pray. You know, guess what? I bet you've been nervous. I bet the first time you did it, you were nervous. And I bet... In your mind, you're thinking, boy, I made this mistake or this mistake. Or this. Who cares what anyone thinks? You're not praying to them anyway. You're praying to God. And so, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards. And it goes on and on all the way down to verse 18 if you want to read it later, but for time's sake we'll move on to the next point. They love to be seen and go to feast wherever they are asked. They love the chief places at feasts and chief seats in the synagogue. I bet they even love being the judges at the chili cook-off. Amen? (laughs) Not me, I hate it. Uh, uh, They love to be seen and go to feasts wherever they are asked. They love the chief places. Now, many of you do not know because you don't go to these things. But Pastor Tyler might know what I'm talking about. But uh, there have been many times in... On a, I've had the occasion since I've been in the ministry to go to pastor's meetings. This is where this goes on. Trust me. There's usually a, several men and they're the ones that want to be seen. They want to do the speaking. They want to make a point of, hey, I'm the one here. I'm the important one here. Go to any Southern Baptist convention and you'll see this. Okay? They are making a name for themselves and a show of themselves. Again, Pastor Van Dusen, who I love, you know Pastor Van Dusen was not a member of any association. He did not affiliate himself with any organizations or pastor's groups or any. I'm not saying those things are bad, but he just was not that way. He said, I'm completely independent and autonomous. And I know Pastor Gregory doesn't go to a lot of those things either. Uh, Why? So you all can stand around and tell each other how wonderful you are and How you've uncovered all these new things about the Word of God that nobody else has uncovered in 2,000 years. It's just silliness. They love to be seen. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. How should we, as Christians, act? As Christians who have a right relationship with God? What does God say we ought to do? Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons... Am I 21? Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. I'd love to stand up at some of these preachers' meetings and say, hey... Who wants to be the greatest here? Now get down and minister to me. Amen. (laughs) And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Again, our pastor, I've gone with him and helped him Cut trees down for free on church members' property. He was serving those people. And those people would have paid for it. That servanthood. There's other ways you can do it, there's all kinds of ways you can do it. You know, there are people, you know, little ways. It doesn't have to be proclaiming the Word of God. There are people who need things done in their home, there are older people who need the light bulbs changed. I used to go on visitation with an older gentleman. He didn't like to give the gospel. Me, a loud mouth, I love to give it. I'll give it to a brick. I don't care. But what he would do while I was giving the gospel, you know what he was doing? Going through the house checking the light bulbs. We'd go into an older person's home. Make sure that they... Because older people can't get up and change the light bulbs. They can't stand on chairs or ladders or whatever. And so that's, that was what he would do. That was how he would minister to them. He was a servant to them. Am I right, old people? It's hard to change the light bulbs, right? Amen. <laughs> you too? <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, uh, be a servant. You don't. You shouldn't seek to be the chief person. You remember, Peter and John went to Jesus, and what did they say? Hey, which one of us is going to sit next to you in heaven, next to your throne? And he basically told them, you want to be the greatest? You got to be the least. He said, it's not up to me to determine who sits next to, me, sits next to me in heaven. But I can tell you right now, you have the wrong attitude about it. I'm paraphrasing. He said, you ought to be concerned about serving others. They love and seek public respect and high titles to be called of men. Rabbi, though they don't deserve it. I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm high potentate, Tyler Billingsley. Amen? Amen? There's people out there that they, you know. Pastor Smith and I went down. uh, And this is common in the South. Pastor Smith and I went down to pick up his son several years ago, probably about five years ago now. And we went to his church. You know what they call his pastor in the church he grew up in? Brother. They don't call him pastor. And that's what we call pastors a lot in the South. We call them brother so-and-so. But we get up here, and it's pastor. Where did we come up with that? Why can't we call... Pastor Gregory, brother Gregory, is there something wrong with that? Do we feel like we're not showing respect? He is our brother, amen. Brother Tyler is our brother, uh, and, and, and they don't—they're not forcing you to call him pastor most of the time, most of the time. But but uh, they seek these times. Look with me at uh, verse seven back in Matthew twenty-three. I'm almost done. Hang with me. Twenty-three seven. Uh, Verse 6 says, "...and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi." Do you know what Jesus' favorite title was? Son of Man. Not Son of God. Not Rabbi. Not any of those titles that He deserved. He 100% deserved to be called the greatest of all things, but son of man, which is probably the lowest title that you could give him. Because man is what? We're sinners. We're lost. But that's how he saw himself. That's how he came to us. As one of us. But be, uh, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all our, med- uh, our brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your Father, which is in heaven. Now, I called my Father, who who brought me into this world, or helped bring me into this world. I called Him Father. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about in a spiritual sense. We ought to be careful the titles that we give men, because we're putting them sometimes in a place that they don't deserve. So, I'm not saying pastor's wrong, because... We have pastors. We see that in Scripture, in Ephesians. It says we have some that are pastors and some that are teachers and so forth. But if you're putting him... You know, I'll give you an example. When pastor's here, the church is more full than it is when pastor's not here. Have you noticed that? Why? Do you give more importance to pastor? Do you put him in a level... Not you. I'm ta- You know what I'm talking about. Do we put him in a position where if he's here, I better be there? Guess what? It doesn't matter whether he's here or he's not here. All that matters is whether you're here or not here. And if you're here only because pastor's here, you're here for what you can get out of it. You're here for your benefit. You're here so he can see you. You're not here to serve others. You're not here for what you can offer and what you can lend and what what you uh, can do for, for the Lord. All right? I don't feel bad about stepping on toes because I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here. You're all here. Amen? I'm stepping on people's toes who are watching on Facebook like my wife. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble when I get home. Uh, the sixth point, they are clean on the outside but filthy on the inside. Now I'm really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Now I'm talking about the independent Baptists. Uh Uh-oh. Do you have the right color shirt on when you stand behind the pulpit? Do you have the right shoes on? Do you have the right tie on? You know, is your hair touching your ears? I've been in churches where you're not allowed to sing in the choir if your hair... I've been in churches where you're not allowed to sing in the choir if you have facial hair. I was in a church one time, I might have shared this with you, where in the morning service, it wasn't the regular pastor, but it was one of the pastors that preached against facial hair behind the pulpit. And our song leader had facial hair. That night, in came that man who preached that morning service, and right behind him was the song leader. And I said, Hey, brother, do you know so and so was preaching about you this morning? What do you mean? He said, You're not to have facial hair behind the pulpit. And I walked off. Let them two fight it out. But silly, silly stuff that we come up with. One time, you know, I was a teacher in a church and I was, you know, they were against facial hair. You know what I did? I grew out a beard for that very reason, just to get under their skin. And I went to visit Pastor Van Dusen we just happened to go up there he said what are you doing with a beard and i said oh i did it just because they told me i couldn't have one he just shook his head like unbelievable but it's just silliness it's that's religion on the outside listen you get cleaned up on the inside and the outside will take care of itself so we see in verse 27 and 28 of matthew 23 woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye are like unto whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outside, but are within full of dead man's bones and full of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So what is the Word of God? How does the Word of God say we ought to live? Look with me at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And oddly, somehow, this passage has been twisted by that same group of people to mean what it doesn't even say Romans I'm sorry Romans chapter 12 Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service I've shared with you before that you can go into a lot of fundamental independent Baptist churches and when they talk about this passage they will end right there they won't even go to verse 2 why? Because verse 1 is all about what you do. That you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. That's about what you do. But verse 2 tells you how you do that. And it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is your mind on the inside or is it on the outside? It's on the inside. You get your mind right, and that's how you all those other things come about. You don't get cleaned up on the outside. What hap- I've shared this with you before. What happens if you go take a drunk off the streets and you put him in the shower and you put new clean clothes on him? Is he suddenly not a drunk anymore? He's just a clean drunk. You haven't dealt with the issue at hand. Inside, he's still a mess. It's the same with us. It's the same with us. Seventh point, I'll go real quick because we're right there. They lead others down the same road to hell that they are on. I've often said, and I know this is not popular to say in Baptist churches, but Billy Graham led just as many people to hell as he probably led to heaven. Because he didn't deal with... I went to a Billy Billy Graham crusade as a kid. I went to the back. I got a John 3.16 Psalms Bible from the Billy Graham crusades. They never dealt with me concerning my salvation. I was actually already saved and just went forward, not thinking that I wanted to go forward because everybody else was going forward. But they didn't even bother to ask me those things. And so they lead others down the same road. And you can look, we won't go there for time's sake, but Romans 14, 13, and 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us not to be a stumbling block we're not to be a stumbling block to those that are lost. The last point is they are concerned with little things that don't matter, that they they are so concerned with little things that don't matter that they miss the big picture. Churches and denominations have split over the dumbest things in the world. I've seen churches split over Genesis chapter 6 and the sons of God. You can sit here and fight for hours and hours and days and months on end, and you're never going to come to a conclusion on who the sons of God were. Is it fun? Yeah, it's fun and jest. I'll give you another one. Was Jonah swallowed by a fish or a whale? Who cares? Does it take away from the story if he was swallowed by a fish or he was swallowed by a whale? No. But believe me, there are great doctrinal dissertations and arguments that go on about whether Jonah was swallowed by a fish or by a whale, it's silliness. It's silliness. What does it say? We uh, in a relationship with Christ. I do look with me at Colossians, Colossians chapter three, and we'll close with this one. Colossians chapter three, verse one and two. If he then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now I'm preaching to myself because I get caught up in all kinds of silly stuff. You know, I get caught up in politics. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in politics. We should be involved in politics. John the Baptist lost his head over a politician. Uh... Daniel was involved with politicians. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But if that becomes your focus, your main focus, and all you talk about and all you preach on and all you harp on, then you've got a problem. You're focused on things on earth and not focused on the one above. So hopefully I gave you some things to think about. In closing, I'll ask you, do you want him? Do you need him? And do you love him? Because two out of three is bad. You need all three out of three. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your Son, and we thank you. We lose sight sometimes. It's been so long ago that he walked the face of the earth that we forget that he's flesh and blood. We forget that he's still alive, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And Father, He's so very real. In fact, His Word says He's right here in this room with us right now. And Father, we just want to take a moment to reflect on the relationship we have with Him. Is it a right relationship? Can we do better? Can we seek after Him? Are we like Peter who was walking on the water and we lost focus? We lost focus of His face? Father, I pray that You would instill in our hearts a desire to serve Him again a desire to have that relationship again, and, Father, to love him and to want him and to need him. And, Lord, we just thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for this time of fellowship. We pray for safe journey home. We pray for our pastor tonight as he's sick, and we just thank you so much for all that you do in Jesus' name. If you want to stand for just a minute,